Bonjour, je suis François Baume, vice-président de l'AMRE. Vous écoutez le Global Captive Podcast. Hello, captives and captive friends, and welcome to episode 21 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by Legacy Specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. Last time out, we heard from employee benefits expert Mark Cook of Willis Towers Watson, as well as Phil Clark, Director of Insurance at Vodafone, who touched upon their own EB program. And it has proven to actually be one of our most popular episodes to date. So I thought we would continue on a similar theme. My guest co-host is Nicola Fordham, Director of Underwriting at Maxis Global Benefits Network. Nicola, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much, Richard. Lovely to be here. We will also be hearing from Brian Quinn, Founding Director of Granite Management in Bermuda, alongside friend of the podcast, Jason Flaxbeard, who I recorded an EB-oriented conversation with in Vermont earlier this year and then our captive owner interview is with Francois Berm of Sonapart. Francois is an active Amray member and provided some perspective on the French captive market. So Nicola I think it's uh, certainly fair to say that Maxis which is a, a joint venture between AXA and MetLife mm-hmm. uh, is, is one of the leading networks when it comes to employee benefits and, and captive fronting. In layman's terms what role does a network like Maxis play when working with a, a captive on an international employee benefits program? Okay, so at the very simple level, uh, we connect our global clients and our captive clients with local insurers in every country. So what we're looking for is that, that we have a network of local insurers, so around 140 local insurers in our network, that are, we refer to them as members, members of the Maxis network. Yeah. And they're present in around 120 countries. They are either MetLife or AXA or independents in those local markets. Um, and they allow us to connect with, our, with the local affiliates and the local employees of our global clients. Great. And then so uh, in terms of your own personal role, what's your role at Maxis? So I lead the underwriting team. So I have a team of 11 that are based in Hong Kong, um, New York, and then the vast majority sit with me in London. And we have that technical to technical relationship with our members, uh, with our network, so that we really understand the risks that are being ceded from our members to to us in the centre. And those risks are then either included in a pool or a GRS arrangement. Uh, other people call that global underwriting. Yeah, like discussed last as week. As we talked last week. Or we can then retrocede that risk to our captives. So we then also as a team have that technical to technical relationship with our captive clients. So it ensures that, that our captive clients really understand that risk that they're taking on and really understand those different life, accident, disability and medical products in each of the countries that they want to seed into their captive arrangement. So from the outside, and I believe historically it was certainly viewed that the, the captive approach uh, had, had been kind of perceived as, as a threat, I think, to, to some large insurers who provided these kinds of uh, programs and, and insurance. Maxis, along with uh, probably a handful of other networks, have actually really embraced mm-hmm. the captive involvement, however, in, in more recent years. So why, why do you guys embrace that captive strategy and, and what's in it for, for, for the underwriter when the captive is taking on so much of the, mm. the risk and the mm-hmm. premium? So yes, yeah, so captive is a is a huge part of what we do. You know, about fifty percent of of our portfolio is through a captive program, but the other fifty percent is through pools and, uh, as I say, GRS clients. 
So for our members, the benefit of being part of our network is just that uh, it's it brings those prestige clients to them and at a level, another level of relationship. So we have relationships through our distribution team with those global clients, with the true decision makers, um, and we can leverage that to help our members. So these prestigious clients, you know, they're all the ones that, that people want, those big global brand names. Yeah, yeah. They want in their portfolio. And it allows us to, to help them facilitate that. And then for us, we have a really good network of, of members you know they are they are the top one two three players in in the markets and we can then meet the demands of those global clients by having that best in service uh, provision from our members uh, and be able to connect local regional global all together which helps those global clients to bring in that global employee benefit strategy to really really help them to retain that talent and and work on on ensuring that their spend on employee benefits is going in the right way and uh, and achieving what they want to achieve and i presume as well a lot of that probably has been driven by uh, client demand in the sense that clients mm. have seen the benefit of what they can get out of having a captive and so if Maxis doesn't do it or whoever else doesn't do it they're going to go somewhere else to find the people that will do it for them most definitely most definitely so the members don't you know they wouldn't want everything in uh, in a captive environment but having those those strong relationships it's there for the long term so it makes it sticky um, in my terms you know so so they know that they're going to be there for retention um, and that they know they can then leverage that into to maybe into other other business and and work with them in the longer term. So in, in the previous episode where we spoke to Phil Clark of Vodafone, he mentioned that they use a, a combination of networks to front their, mm. front their international programme. I, I seem to think that, I hear that from a few, a few captive owners, is, is that quite a common approach? And what are some of the reasons that you see clients doing that? It, it can be. So when a captive considers working with a fronting network, they would look at uh, what the capabilities are. So they need to make sure that, that in the footprint that they want to cover globally, that they have a partner that can provide that for them so sometimes there may be the need for two networks because the they complement each other in terms of of where their capabilities and their strengths are now it could also be that the captive wishes to provide choice to their locals so it depends on how their strategy runs around the captive and how they communicate and how embedded that is so some of our our captive clients they choose to have a single network strategy and what they want is they want one lot of reporting one point of contact for things they want things to be to be in that universal way but they are embedding that all the way through their business so from cfo in head into the risk department in procurement in hr they are all driven to know that that's it and then they have that strategy of it's just a tell. You tell your locals to bring the business to the network and to keep it there. But some clients find that actually more of a collaborative approach is, is better for them culturally within their companies. And so to having two networks would give them the choice. So then you're saying to your affiliates, you need to come into our captive program, but you can use insurer A or you can okay. use insurer B. It also gives maybe if there's service issues with one, there's a there's a good stick that you can encourage people to, to improve because you could always switch to another one. It keeps, we, keeps you guys honest. It does. <laughs> it does. And, you know, there's things and roundabouts for either of them. Last week when Mark was talking about the global risk strategy, so for GRS we would very much encourage a single network strategy because of the way you're working there Mm. to bring everything together and hold that portfolio together. I need the economies of scale of having that whole portfolio piece. 
when it's captive and it's the captive's own risk, then we'll work with them in the way that they want to. We hope that they choose us, obviously, pride ourselves on having an incredibly strong network, particularly with that AXA and that MetLife uh, and the, the affiliates, the, the independents that we've chosen, they are, they are top class providers. Great. Well, really good to have a bit of an introduction to the, the way that the fronting networks work, having heard on the other side of things from Mark um, last week. But now we're going to hear from Francois Berm, Vice President for Risk and Insurance at global electrical products solutions company Sonopar. The firm has a Swiss captive and Francois provided some insight into the French captive market. So Sonepar is a leading French company active in the B2B electrical distribution market, headquartered in France and present active in 44 countries. And my role there is uh, I'm in charge of uh, risk and insurance matters at uh, Sonepar headquarters in Paris. And then, so looking at the broader captive market in general uh, and from a French perspective, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing captive owners today? As we, as we uh, risk managers, are facing a new, let's say, insurance market trends uh, these days, one of the big challenges, I think, for, for, for us is to better use the captive as a risk management tool in order to provide efficiency and optimization to the, to the groups to which the captive belongs. And doing so uh, is also a challenge for us because we need to have a better, let's say, administration of, of the captive, meaning data collection, data, data analysis that are key in that process and that will help us to promote risk management actions and results in front of the insurance market and also find out some let's, new ways of using the captive by putting new lines, covering, finding coverage, way of to cover some uh, risks, risks that remain until now not, not properly covered. So talking about difficulties with the insurance market, no one needs to be told that we're entering a very different market to what captive owners and risk managers have been used to for the last you know, 10, 15 years. What is the, the main characteristics of this hardening market that French risk managers are experiencing? I think the, the main characteristics of the current situation is that uh, things are changing, as you, as you were saying, not maybe changing in a very uh, dramatical situation, but the, the change is at least starting. We, were, we are facing some insurers that are lowering the shares or the limits that, the, that they can offer, escaping from some markets, not willing to take any more uh, position. Uh, on some lines uh, linked to some activities that are perceived uh, as quite uh, quite risky, uh, and if you are um, a client with a, for a given line, uh, let's say a, a consistent loss history, it starts to be a very difficult discussion that that, that are to be to be handled with with, uh, with the insurer. So things are changing, and uh, as long as you have a captive, you are probably in a better position because you have, uh, as said before, the the same understanding of the data, of the loss history, of the trends, so you have a different uh, lever uh, of negotiation with, uh, with the insurer, and you are also able to have some sort of buffer 
to temperate a bit uh, the market evolution. It will not be magic, but it will at least be something that will uh, allow you to, to, to preserve the efficiency of your, your programs and preserve also the fact that uh, the insurance that you will uh, benefit from will be uh, fit for the purpose and, and, and economically uh, efficient. Great. So uh, do, do you, can you think of any uh, particular strategies that the captive can be used in, uh, in this hard market to support kind of lowering premium rates or at least mitigating the increase which uh, so many uh, risk managers are already reporting? Is it just about the captive taking higher retentions? Should the captive be playing uh, in, in higher levels? What do you think the, the approach can be from, from captives? I, I think it, it can be a mix depending the owner activities, the, the loss histories, basically the characteristics of the account. And after, I think one, one thing needs to be kept, uh, kept in mind is that the captive is a tool part of a, a risk management strategy. It, it was like that the last 10 to 20 years and maybe uh, probably like the, the still the early beginning of the captive. But as of today, it's still the case and it needs to be uh, addressed in keeping that in mind to extract the maximum value of the captive. With that in mind, you will be able to, to promote actions and results that were achieved by, 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 by the, the insert, and you will also be able to find the rooms to deal with the evolution of the market. Obviously, one of the characteristics of a hard market can be kind of restriction of cover and um, insurers looking to take out some of the silent cover, possibly. So cyber often comes into that category. The cyber market has definitely evolved in the last you know, 10 years or so. Um, I'd just like to ask you first, where do you see the state of the cyber market in France? What do you think is missing uh, from cyber coverage and, and what role you think captors can possibly play? So the, the, the cyber insurance market in France is uh, more mature than ever, let's say, but is not still mature enough to, to, to fulfill all the uh, risk managers' uh, needs and, and uh, all the needs linked to, to the cyber exposure that is also evolving. In, in there, there is an evolution of, of the stakes in volume or, or amount, but there is also an evolution of, of the, let's say, root causes of all of that uh, cyber uh, uh, matters. So uh, the policies that we are, the wordings that we are benefiting from right now are almost there, but not fully. And beside that, you have the, 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 the discussion with regard to the capacity and to the adequation between the cyber policy and all the other uh, programs that, that are there, the, the classical ones, that are almost all containing silent covers and that will remain, contain some for, for, for years. This will change, I think, as the, the penetration rate in France of, of such coverage are higher than ever. Uh, in the past, it mainly the main the big companies were were uh, carrying some uh, cyber coverages, and since the last two to five years, we are seeing a movement that mid caps are purchasing, implementing, uh, underwriting cyber insurance policies. Not maybe tailor-made ones, but at least cyber insurance policies. And to with regard to the captive involvement in that field. I think that captive can play a big role in, in, in cyber insurance at, f with maybe two different ways of playing that role. The first one for a company that is having a captive but that was not for now having a cyber insurance policy for various reasons. The captive can probably be an enabler of having uh, uh, of, of defining the needs of a cyber insurance policy through a pecuniary losses policy uh, with a cyber wording in it. So this can be a good start, and after the captive can role can be uh, rediscussed. 
or for a company that is already carrying a, a cyber insurance policy for years, not, not maybe a dozen of years, but at least five, five to, to ten, the captive can be a, a good, let's say, tool to empower the cyber insurance policy to extend a bit the scope of coverage and maybe play a role uh, on the limit. But hopefully these, these lines are not so frequently triggered at least for the insurance part of the coverage. For the um, services part, it may be different. There, there, there can be uh, uh, several calls uh, a year or a month calling for uh, forensic or some, some action of that kind, but the indemnity part is probably uh, less frequently triggered. So once you pull apart this, this issue of modelization linked to the lack of uh, events, uh, you may find through the captive some methods to, to, to modelize the risk and define how your captive may be a good tool to optimize the cyber coverage that, that, you, that you have. The Global Captive Podcast is supported by RQ, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. RQ can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to RQ. Welcome back to the Global Captive Podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe for free on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And as of this week as well, some exciting news, you can also listen to the pod on the captive.com website where Global Captive Podcast is now also present. Uh, Nicola, we hear a lot about the greater data insights uh, the insured gets from running the program through their captive. In in what form does the customer get that data and and what kind of detail are are we talking about? So in a great deal of detail and everybody loves a bit of data as they well should do. So the the first point would be uh, where myself and the team come into play. So at the point of a captive deciding that they want to consider a risk to be included into their captive program, we need to share with them the details of that risk. So what we do is uh, within Maxis is we ask our members to underwrite the case as they normally would. So there would be that low offer and acceptance it means that there is that compliance solution for the captive because they're having that local policy in local currency subject to local tax local market practice all of that good stuff and so the the member the underwriting team at the member as the experts in the market they will underwrite that as if it was their own local business and we ask them at Maxis to share that information with us using what we call a technical template so that template summarizes that risk review so tells you about the benefit basis the number of lives the total sum at risk what your exposures are per head for your event should there be event um, it looks at the claims experience and most importantly the fees and the expenses that would be in place and gives you that summary of the risk so that you can really the captive can then really understand 
understand that. And what we do within the team is that we line our team up by the countries. So the first review that's done by the Maxis team is to them done by the, the member that really understands that country. And then it's looked at by the underwriter that's lined up with the client. So they really then understand the client's risk appetite and the what the data they would want to see and the things that they're interested in um, and that kind of stuff. And that template is then shared with the captive. So the captive gets full oversight on the risk and gets to decide whether they're happy with it, whether they're not. They can make impacts to the pricing, to the terms and conditions, as long as it's actuarially appropriate, of course. But they have the control because they're holding the pen on that risk. So they get that that data, they get that decision, and they have that both at new business stage, but also at renewal as well. So if the captive chooses and they want to review every policy at every renewal then they can do that and they can have that that real detailed insight imagine particularly with medical they really get to to look at where their spend is what cost containment could be put in place uh, on their long-term disability to really understand what those reserves are at the underwriting stage so you, you, t- you touched a little bit already on how they act upon that so what kind of things are you seeing clients really mm. use use and act upon with that data so um some of them you know are very passive uh they don't necessarily have the underwriting expertise and they'll trust us and and our members and they'll just accept or reject the risk um some of them have very sophisticated underwriting teams in place they have a team of actuaries they know they're they're captive they're very controlled over it and and they have they have a strategy around that some use uh external consultants obviously as well to to help advise them on the underwriting but what we see the clients do is really try to understand that risk and a lot of them are looking for the stability for their locals so to try and um, live with some fluctuations in the risk again because they're looking at it much from a portfolio point of view so they can forgive a little bit of bad experience in one place EB can be a little bit lumpy in places um, so they can look at it across the longer period and get that sustainability in place uh, and obviously some of them are being very sophisticated with their wellness uh, as you heard from Bill Fitzpatrick in yeah. a previous episode you know really uh, impacting on their medical spend because of, of preventative things that they think are going to help improve that that experience in the future. Yes, uh, episode eight, I believe, uh, was uh, Bill Fitzpatrick uh, and Lorraine Stack as well discussing EB. Uh, so do go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Um, as we've been discussing today and all, also in episode eight and episode 20, you know, the, the employee benefit space in captives is, is really growing. And one of the largest of these programs was or is found at uh, General Motors. Uh, now, Brian Quinn built up that program in his previous role at GM before leaving to establish Granite Management in 2010. I caught up with Brian and Beach Carlson's Jason Flaxbeard while at the VCIA annual conference in August this year to talk employee benefits and the hardening market a bit more generally. Granite Management was formed about 10 years by myself and a few colleagues. We were all ex-General Motors employees and we had created uh, a the largest employee benefit program in, in a captive for, for General Motors. And General Motors was the first U.S. company to bring employee benefits into a captive and probably fifth or sixth in the world to, to uh, sort of embark on this encounter. We decided to set up Granite because a lot of peers were looking to do the same thing and we saw an opportunity to do this and we wanted to help. It was something that really interested me personally to do that. So over the last 10 years, we've sort of built up a practice captive management company, which is still a captive Bermuda domicile captive management company. But we have a focus on employee benefits and helping businesses to bring employee benefits into their captives. And we work with our own clients, captive management, but with a lot of other multi-clients, uh, both 
in the Bermuda domicile at Trezars, but also in across the world in multiple US domiciles and multiple European domiciles. So captives are a growing area and something that we're, we're sort of building our business on at the moment and it's, it's been quite successful for us. And then on the international employee benefits side, Brian, what parts of the actual programmes do you get involved in and, and manage for, for clients, whether you manage the captives or not? Basically, all our clients are looking for is bringing any insured benefit that they're buying. So be that their life insurance, their disability, their accident or principally their medical insurance and bringing it in to actually control those costs to understand those costs and get transparency and maybe savings as well so if you look back when we started the business granted 10 years ago everyone was looking to bring it business into the captive purely to get savings that, that and that was certainly the case when i was doing this for general motors but now businesses are not looking for the savings anymore they're more looking to get uh, transparency on their global exposures, understand where they're going, and, and uh, on the medical expenses, uh, a feeling where those, that trend is going and if they can beat that trend, and to bring in targeted wellness programs to sort of help them, both help their employees, but also help the cost of their programs going forward, because this is a, it, serious issues for them. So if you look at medical insurance at the moment, the cost of medical insurance is going up and outside the U.S. about 10% per annum. In the U.S. it's about 1-2%, although it's a very high cost base, but the rest of the world is playing very quick catch-up on, on that, and at 10% per annum, whatever your global spend is in medical today, in five to six years, it's going to be double that number. Yeah, I was just saying, so it used to be that the benefit captives were you know, third-party risk discussion uh, captives in, in the U.S. Is that, is, is that, does that come up at all throughout the, uh, the rest of the world? No, it doesn't. It, like for the U.S. captives, it still is. Uh, it, it was a guiding principle in, in some people who wanted to bring it in for the, uh, the the unrelated income in U.S. captives, and it still is a benefit, and it still is uh, uh, per the IRS rules and unrelated income. But it is no longer the, at the forefront. People who are driving this now are no longer the risk managers, Jason. It's the uh, HR people who actually want to get the data, want to get control of the finance mainly so they can report back to their finance people on, on what their global exposures are because they really don't have that visibility today. And so on the data then, on a different angle to the data question, I often hear mixed feedback from my conversations with captive owners regarding being able to really get hold of the really interesting and helpful uh, data that is meant to come out of, a, of an EB program. So how do you review that aspect of captive programs at the moment and how can fronting partners and other parties Im- improve the collection and, and analysis of good data for the clients? Yeah, and that's one of the, the key developments in the captive insurance for employee benefits is the improvement of the data flow. So if you go back before captives, people are using multinational pooling, which was reporting that came six to 18 months after the year end. So the data, by the time you got the data, it was out of date. Whereas with captive insurance, you're getting a quarterly. But the data that was being provided, and that, like if we go back 10 years or five years ago, the data was poor. And every, every year it's getting better. And we are one of the key drivers in trying to improve that myself and other peers in the industry trying to work with the network partners and there's just five or so global insurers who, who really want to focusing on this and they are improving the both the, the data that they're getting and they're trying to bring in standardization of uh, medical reporting to icd-10 coding so generally and maxis are really taking a forefront on that but Allianz and zurich are also doing the same they're also following up with icd-10 codings and aia in asia are also a leader in, in that field and that is helping to uh, standardise that, help you to analyse your data and get consistency across that data. You've already touched on the rising, uh, already touched on the rising medical costs, but in in the PNC lines at the moment, we're definitely seeing the market harden and uh, 
renewal conversations are becoming more difficult in the PNC market. How would you assess the state of the market for uh, employee benefits lines? So employee benefits lines, it, it depends on the market you're looking at, and it, it's pretty consistent. It, it doesn't it doesn't have the same cycle as property and casualty in the, in, in the hard and we, uh, soft markets. Employee benefits are really driven by loss experience and mortality tables, uh, and there isn't the same thing except in one market which is the US. In the US the the market here is actually very soft and it has been soft for decades now. The captives are not as prevalent for US benefits as they are for others for that reason but also there's the DOL exemptions that are required so it's a laborious and bureaucratic process to actually get approval but you don't have that same hard and soft market. I think Jason can talk a bit more about sort of the PNC side, like where that's going. I, all I know is I'm getting so many more inquiries as to, I've got this old runoff captive that I thought was in runoff, but now I need to use it again. There's, there's uh, all this data that I've got. How do I use that to improve my, my program? And if I'm going to look at this again, how do I, how do I look at employee benefits again? You know, it, it, honestly, Brian, it, you and I need to talk a little bit more because everything that I do on, the, on my side in a hardening market is leading to analysis on the benefit side as well. Because it's not just a PNC market anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a risk market. And everybody's looking at things in, in a global view on an integrated basis. And I've said this before on this, on this show, but uh, I think that the benefits and, and PNC is going to have a lot of crossover. But right now, we're hardening in a lot of lines apart from uh, comp. Comp seems to be still very much data-driven, so a lot of analysis is fairly uh, showing a fairly flat renewal on that. But other lines of business are coming in very, very hard. And, and clients are calling almost daily saying, how do I, how do I change the conversation? No, I'd agree with everything you said. I, I would think in some lines on the PNC, it, it is more specific, and they're looking at people with bad risk who have who've got bad claims experience who are getting the bigger brunt of the hard market, whereas in the past hard markets were across the board. I think the hard market this time is more specific on certain clients and certain things, and there's more of a risk aggregation as you're talking about and trying to bring it all together it does feel different it feels like it might be here to stay you know yeah Yeah. Uh, Yeah. and and, uh, hopefully you know i think it'd be good for the insurance market if we can get away from the hard soft market and actually get to a stable market where captives play their role within that market but the the insurance and reinsurance market support that and and sort of putting in exactly what you said like the aggregation between the life and the property risks has to happen and it's starting to happen i think you and i have worked on a few where we're doing that and so lastly then question to both of you what is the primary driver of this uh, desire to put eb into captives i know what some of the selling points are i know what some of the parts you'd always say are but what do you think are the real reasons why people are trying to do it jason i'll do first is, is data getting control of your data and that's just not an eb thing it's a pnc thing too once you've got the data you can analyze the data you can model the data you can actually define what your risk retention is going to be that, that, that's that's my overarching view of captives understanding what your risk is and financing that risk no no i agree 100 but i go further with the data it's not just data for understanding your risk but it's also the, the ability to go back to your finance function within the company to report on where you're going because i think a lot of companies have got caught out with that medical cost doubling every four to five years and they have no idea where it's coming from and then it's a cost coming into thing whereas before it used to be a, a segment of your compensation budget it is now becoming a big part of that budget growing and growing but so yeah, i agree i don't think there's two reasons that is the main reason yeah. is that data control
So that was Brian Quinn and Jason Flaxbeardown. I, I believe Matt says probably know Brian and, and Granite quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked just before then about kind of uh, how captive owners use that data. And obviously, um, one thing we know about the, the, this approach is you kind of get the quarterly data as well, don't you? So how, you how useful is that uh, for, the, for the owners? So I would say very useful. So once a policy program is in place, uh, what the networks would do is provide a quarterly report, a quarterly border row to the captives, uh, which is the cash the money tells them where that is so for Maxis we use Bridge as a online in the cloud uh, secure portal for us to be able to obtain that data from from our members um, and to translate that into a quarterly report for our captives means that that data from all around the globe in all those different currencies in all the different formats comes to the captive in a standard format um, breaks it into life accident disability medical a key set of sub products as well so they really understand what that data looks like so the, the quarterly data comes through, it's GDPR compliant, so you get very nice detailed information, but without having anything that's personal or sensitive. Yeah. Um, so literally line by line, claim by claim for your non-medical, um, to be able to see really how that, that data is evolving, how your risk is evolving. So for example, with your long-term disability, see the benefit that's been paid annually and then the mathematical reserves that's associated with that uh, opening and closing each quarter. So you can see the evolution of those through your through your program and so obviously kind of coming on to wellness which is a real buzzword for promoting mm-hmm. the, the, this approach and of course HR and benefits managers play a, a big role there how are we seeing uh, wellness programs improve as a result of these structures yeah so with the the wellness it definitely is a buzzword everywhere but um, it's definitely into employee benefits because you're talking about people you know it's really where your risk is and what we're seeing with health and wellness is really about data is really getting underneath your data, particularly your medical. So as I've heard people talk about on the podcast previously, and we're all talking about it, is medical trend is globally at what's 9 8%, yeah, something like yeah. that. You know, And in some countries, it's, it's well into the double digits. You know, So if you leave that, just leave that to roll, in several, a couple of years, you're going to double your medical spend. You know, and how long are then employers going to be able to continue to spend that money on, on their medical benefits? So what you're seeing us as networks do is, is provide more health and wellness data, more analytics on that. For us at Maxis, we have a whole health and wellness team that are dedicated to this, and they produce four reports throughout the year to be able to allow our captive clients to really understand what they're spending their money on. So to look at the paid claims, uh, the incurred claims, risk stratification, and also to be able to benchmark themselves against, against other countries. We have lots of tools as well through our Max's Global Wellness offering because it is becoming such, as you say, a buzzword. People are really interested in wellness and being able to really do something to impact on that that trend. And we're also seeing our local members providing an offering, um, you know, to really get involved in what's appropriate at local markets, be that an employee assistance program, some kind of uh, bereavement counselling, some kind of wellness stuff. You know, it's gone are the days when you just have a benefits fair and you give everybody a step counter and you have a challenge on, you know, how many steps you can complete in a day. Um, Employers and and really switched on global employers are realising that they need to look after the financial, the physical and the mental wellness of of their talent 
um, you know, to make sure that they, they're having a fully productive workforce that can really bring their whole self to work and, and really earn their, their keep for the, for the employers. Well, thank you to all of our guests in episode 21 of the Global Captive podcast. Francois Berm of Sonapart, Brian Quinn of Granite Management, Beach Carlson's Jason Flaxbeard, and of course, thank you, Nicola, for coming on to the pod. Very welcome. Thank you very much. See you next time, captives.